Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Change is all around us. For better or for worse, nothing of this world stays the same for very long. Just think of the changes in such things as technology or transportation or medicine or world affairs that you've experienced just in your own life, whether you've lived 80 years or 60, 40 or 20 or even less. Change can make us uncomfortable, but change has been a constant in the human experience ever since the fall into sin, and change is very much a thing of this world. Yet when we look back upon our own lives and upon human history, we realize that many of the changes that have taken place have been for the good. But we should also remember and always trust that none of these changes has ever taken place apart from being accordance in the will of God. Looking at the Old Testament reading for this Sunday, we see that the people of Jerusalem clearly didn't want to hear about some of the changes that they were going to face. But we're reminded just as clearly in God's Word that in the midst of worldly change, that Word is constant and sure. It conveys to us what the Lord would have us learn and know. It teaches us about the law, and it shows us our sin and our sinfulness. And likewise, it reveals to us that the only escape from this condition and from the horrible eternal consequences we earn through those sins is our Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. As beneficial as it is, though, in curbing our sin and driving us to sorrow and to fear of punishment and preparing us for the Gospel and showing us the way of Christian living, God's law still irritates us. It stings. It hurts. Just like any other change we face, we might grumble and we might complain, but we can rejoice in the fact that God's Word does not change. Instead, God's Word changes us. As believers and not as scoffers, we are blessed to know that the Bible is God's Word and that it is His revealed truth. What a great gift that is to us. How grateful we should be for it. St. Paul wrote, And we also thank God continually because when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as it actually is, the Word of God, which is at work in you who believe. How comforting that the Word of God remains constant, a solid foundation in all times and in all places. How amazing also that God's Word is so dynamic and living in each one of us. How beautiful that we have the opportunity to hear in our changing times the solid eternal message, including that which comes to us across the centuries from prophets such as Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a major prophet in the Old Testament. His ministry was a wake-up call to the people of Judah. Those who had been the apple of God's eye had drifted away. They'd become infected by the pagan culture which surrounded them. 
They were no longer living as a people set apart to the Lord. Jeremiah was sent to preach a message of law and gospel to them. And Jeremiah prophesied as the Lord had commanded. He told the people that they must listen to the Lord and obey His law and to the words of the prophets that He had sent to them. If they did not, their nation would become accursed and they would face destruction and desolation. This was a sort of change that the people of the land weren't prepared to accept. We have their reaction to Jeremiah's preaching record in today's lesson. But as soon as Jeremiah finished telling all the people everything the Lord had commanded him to say, the priests, the prophets, and all the people seized him and said, You must die. Now they couldn't change God's will or the message by putting Jeremiah to death, of course, but maybe they thought that by killing him, they wouldn't be made to feel so uncomfortable about that message. They didn't like feeling offended. They tried to deflect the blame for their discomfort away from themselves and onto God's messenger. The people asked Jeremiah, Why do you prophesy in the Lord's name that this house will be like Shiloh and this city will be desolate and deserted? Now Shiloh had at one time been the center of Israel's religious life. The tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant had been set up and resided there for many years prior to the construction of God's temple by Solomon. But now Shiloh was in ruins and had been abandoned. Their fear of the possibility that Jerusalem might fall under similar fate should have been the primary concern to Jeremiah's listeners. But their pride rose to the surface instead. If what Jeremiah was saying was wrong, why should they care what extreme things he said? But they had come to be comfortably dependent upon their status as God's chosen, apart from having faith in God himself. So Jeremiah was grabbed by the angry mob and right there in the temple, no less. Crowding around him, they tried to intimidate the prophet to scare him into retracting his message. But Jeremiah's message was not his own. It was the message of God. It was the truth, unpopular though it might be. Just as people flock in fawning droves to those who speak what they want to hear, a great clamor often arises against those who tell unpopular truths. Jeremiah's message and the reaction that it had caused among the people and the priest came to the attention of the government officials not too far away. They came to investigate this commotion and perhaps to put down a brewing riot. The people who had first heard Jeremiah's message demanded his execution. This man should be sentenced to death because he has prophesied against this city. You have heard it with your own ears. Jeremiah didn't deny it. He didn't try to backpedal away from his earlier statements. He didn't try some sort of a spin control to explain his words away and to placate public response. Instead, he stood firm in the Lord's Word and stated once again in the presence of the people and the political officials and the religious leaders, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the things that you have heard. 
Jeremiah didn't change, and he couldn't change God's message. If he had, it wouldn't have been God's message anymore. It would have been Jeremiah's own. What he had proclaimed had stung them. It hurt. It should have even frightened them. But it was the truth. The law told them that they would be destroyed on account of their unfaithfulness. God's message hasn't changed for us either. We don't like to hear the law either. It does hurt. It does sting. It reminds us that we have strayed from God's commands and we have nothing to offer Him but our sins. Contrasted to His perfection, we are miserably flawed. We are terribly filthy. We are incredibly ungodly. Every statement of God's law accuses us and convicts us of evil thoughts wicked words and sinful actions over and over and over again. Paul made it clear in his writings that the law wasn't going to save anyone any more than it could save the Israelites or save the Romans to whom he was writing. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The law reminds us that we are unclean, offensive to God. It points out that we continually and we habitually sin and in no small way. The law places our sin before us. It holds up a mirror and along with Satan, it accuses us and condemns us. God's Word tells us that quite clearly. Now you can close your eyes and you cover your ears and you can run around saying la 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 to try to ignore it like so many in our community and so many across the globe do. But the law remains valid. It will put them, just as it puts me and you, under both the microscope and under the intense light of scrutiny and accusation. And there's no way around that. And no matter whether the law is rejected and avoided, or whether it is accepted and worked toward, it cannot save. It can only condemn. From Galatians 3.10 we read, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So, even if we try to keep the law, we're still under a curse because we don't keep all of the law. We are insufficient to keep it. Yet how often have you heard it said, especially concerning a person who might have died, he led a pretty good life and he did a lot more good than bad. God will let him into heaven because of that. He tried his very best. Maybe you've even felt that way about yourself sometimes. The world says and thinks that, certainly. Billions and billions think that if they work hard enough and long enough and rightly enough, then the God that they believe in will have mercy. But the true God tells us, no, that is trying to keep the law. And the law reminds us that we fall short in trying to generate our own righteousness and salvation. And that's a false hope, an illusion. 1 John 4, 6 tells us, we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. 
This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. We could react like many do and reject the law, but we'd be lying to ourselves and everyone around us. Every bit as much as if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Like the people of Jerusalem to whom Jeremiah proclaimed the unvarnished and the uncomfortable truth, we deserve nothing but eternal death and punishment. That's been the truth ever since the fall into sin. And it's a message that God's prophets are called to preach yet today. I know it hurts. It stings. It offends. For it does the same thing to me. And it should. But as hard as the law hits us and hurts us, even stronger does God's gospel touch us and heal us. Jeremiah realized that. He did preach the law to God's people. They weren't ready for the gospel yet when they crowded around him and tried to intimidate him into softening and changing his message. Instead, he confirms there that it is God's message and not his own. Yet Jeremiah still offered them hope. He didn't say that God would immediately destroy them. He told them that they should change their ways. Now that's law too, but it has to be understood in a gospel context. The sort of change that Jeremiah was talking about can only come through the work of the gospel upon people's hearts. They couldn't and they wouldn't listen or change without the Holy Spirit working upon them, without giving them faith and growing faith within them. Jeremiah said that if they mended their ways and became obedient to God's voice, he would not bring upon them the disasters he had warned them about through Jeremiah's preaching of the law. That then is gospel. Gospel is God's constant willingness to relent, to restore, and to forgive. He would set aside their sins. The gospel could heal them just as it has the power to heal you. It always changes lives so that lives can be changed. Think about how Jeremiah's situation was similar to that of Jesus centuries later. First, the religious authorities and the people want to falsely convict him and sentence him to death. Then they enlist the support of the government. Yet that condemnation and that death did not happen to Jeremiah here because God wasn't done with Jeremiah yet. But Jeremiah didn't know that at the time, and yet his trust in the rightness of God's message gave him courage. As for me, I am in your hands. Do with me whatever you think is good and right. God's will would get done, no thanks to them, for God's word is both truthful and enduring, and it works according to his timing and his will, not always seen by us. It is often uncomfortable to hear the law, but until we hear it and we understand our shortfall of it, the gospel is of no benefit to us. We need to see that we cannot help ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't do enough good works. We can't buy our way into heaven. And we can't pray our way into heaven. The Lord saves us by His grace alone. He saves us by the comfort of His gospel. He raises us up with the healing of His gospel. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, St. Paul wrote to St. Timothy. When you see yourself as the worst of sinners, and each of us should, then you realize the depth of love God has for you. That's what we examine here during the season of Lent, that we're saved by Christ alone. God's grace has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, Paul wrote. We who are mortal shall put on immortality. This is God's gospel. By it we're moved to live lives of love. We bind ourselves together to each other's weaknesses, even as we've been bound together by Christ's strength, which appeared in the weakness and the seeming foolishness of the cross. We are told in the Scriptures, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Burdened by sin because of the law, turn to the Lord. He forgives your sin. Times of change will come in this world. The times of refreshing come from God. God's eternal message does not change. Through all of the threats and all of the harm and all of the death and the rejection of God's prophets and the message that they proclaim, God's Word is still God's Word. It hammers us down about our sinfulness, that's true. Yet it gently and powerfully still lifts us up, props us back up with His forgiveness. Jeremiah preached that eternal message, a message still proclaimed in our changing world in faithful congregations by faithful pastors and faithful teachers. Faithful people still hear it. They accept the discomfort and the pain of His law, yet they rejoice in the comfort and the healing assurance of its gospel. We are those to whom God has entrusted that message today in all of its truth and all of its power. We are given the task of communicating it among a people that don't want to hear that message. They don't want to hear about sinfulness because they don't yet understand or appreciate their need for forgiveness. Only those who realize the depth of their sin and their need for rescue find joy in that forgiveness. Yet we need to remind people of the depth of their sin as well as the height of God's grace. Through that grace, we are reconciled to Him. The Scriptures tell us, God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. That defines reconciliation, doesn't it? Reconciliation is an undoing of the flaws that are found in someone or something. In this case, the record of your great and many sins. And God has committed to you and to me and to all believers this message of reconciliation. We are today's Jeremiah's proclaiming the Lord's message. We will sting and we will hurt and we will condemn with God's law, just as happens to us. Yet as the Gospel lifts us up, it heals us and it saves us by God's grace, it also carries the power of His forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life to all those whom He has called, all who will hear the words of grace and truth 
that we speak into their ears. In the name of Him who is the way, the truth, and the life, and is God's eternal unchanging Word, Jesus Christ. Amen.